Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Uh, If you aren't taking notes, the title of my message today is Don't Be So Dramatic. And everybody who had this sensitive style last week is already triggered. Um, Don't be so dramatic. And if you're wondering um, what a a shutdown attachment style, you know, is like, it's sort of like this. Let's say that you are, you're going to come home from work and it's been kind of a stressful day. And so you have this, this unspoken plan in your head. You're like, I'm going to get some takeout from this place that I really like. I'm going to go home. I am going to watch this game that I've recorded, and I'm going to pay some bills online because we need to do that. And so you, you go, drive through, you get the food, you go home. As soon as you walk in the door, um, somebody pops up and is just like, oh, good, you're here. Can you help me with something? And you say no. Um, they don't really seem to like this answer. They're like, why not? And you don't really feel like you owe them an explanation, but you give them anyway. You're like, because I already have plans. I just got here. I'm holding hot food. Then they notice your hot food, and they're like, I like that place. How come you didn't give me anything? And you say, I, because I thought you, you ate already. Um, and they're like, yeah, but you could have called and told me that you were thinking about going there and offered to, to get me something, but you didn't do that, which is you know, kind of hurts my feelings a little bit. And uh, you're like, why can't I just, you know, do something that I want to do without having to update you about everything in my life every 15 seconds? And they're like, that's rude. And you're like, can we talk about this later? Uh, Because my food is getting like really cold and I just, I just want to eat and I feel like you're being annoying. And they don't, they seem frustrated that you said that, but you go to your room and uh, you sit down and you unpack your food. And right as you're about to take that first bite, you hear a knock at the door and you're like, I know it's going to be them. And it is. And they open the door and they're like, are you mad at me? And you're like, no. And they're like, are you sure? And you're like, yes. And they're like, why are you acting weird? And you're like, I'm not acting weird. I am acting hungry. Okay. And I just, can you please just give me a little bit of space? And they're like, okay, okay but they don't leave. They they act like they're going to leave, but then they don't leave. And instead, they launch into a 23-minute story about a YouTube video they saw two days ago about a subject that you don't really care about. And you briefly think about murdering them, uh, but instead you just, you cut them off and you're just like, can you please, can you please just like leave me alone just for a few minutes? And they look hurt. And you sigh at how hurt they look because it feels frustrating to you. And, you know, they tear up and you roll your eyes and you say to them, why are you being so emotional about this? It's not that big a deal. And, and now they're like, they look angry that you said that. And they're like, I just wanted you to help me with that thing. And so you're like, fine. And you push the food away and you get up and you go and you help them begrudgingly, not because you want to, but because you're convinced it is the only way to get them to leave you alone. And so you do. And once it's over, they're like, thanks. And they try and hug you, but you're too smart for that. And so you slink out of it because it's weird, and you go back to your room, and the food is cold, so you throw it away, and you can hear them in the other room, like getting into the shower, so you decide that you're going to sneak out and go for a drive, so that you don't have to get trapped into talking to them later when they get out of the shower, 
And as you're driving around, you're thinking about how hungry that you still are and how the, the game is like half over. So like it's, there's no sense trying to watch that anymore and you still have to pay the bills. And as you're thinking about all of this stuff, your phone starts blowing up and it's not just one text, it's 15 different texts. And as you're seeing the phone blow up, it occurs to you, I'm gonna have to move. I have to live somewhere else. I can't do this anymore. Having a, a, a shutdown style is like that. Okay, it's like that. It's 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 essentially like this this uh, this sense that you are like endlessly trying to escape anyone that is attempting to trap you into a needy emotional exchange, because in your mind um, the thought that you have is like, why can't other people just be calm and rational and predictable? Why can't everyone just mind their own business and take care of themselves? That's what I do, okay? I don't know why it's so hard for them. And that's why people with this attachment style um, tend to do certain things. And, and if you're wondering maybe if this is you or somebody you know, I'm just going to give you like a punch list to sort of go through and self-diagnosis. Uh, um, they essentially, uh, they find themselves, you know, trying to do as much as they can on their own so that they don't have to rely on others because that's the way that they can sort of keep their independence. They pref prefer relationships where they call most of the shots. They hate compromising their routines to address the needs of others. It's like this, I have a way of doing this and you are getting in the way of it, okay? They're annoyed with how few people live up to their standards. They, they try and help others by telling them everything they do wrong, often in great detail, and then they're confused why other people don't find it helpful. They see their opinions as objective facts rather than personal feelings. That's just your opinion. No, that's the facts. That's, I don't have opinions. I don't have feelings. I'm just telling you the way it is, objectively so. They sidestep their emotions by busying themselves with unrelated activity. They respond defensively often when you ask them to explain their feelings or actions. Why would you do something like that? They, they feel frustrated that you would ever question them in such a way. They want to be together, but not the pressure of a long-term commitment. They think public displays of affection are enormously embarrassing. They uh, can't really see the true benefit of a relationship until they often lose access to it. And they can come off as uncaring to someone experiencing deep emotions. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, I totally know someone like this. And some of you are like, I am like this. I don't understand why these are like negative things. These sound like an awesome person that has it together. So why are we even talking about this today? And maybe those of you that are not this, this style, uh, maybe those of you that are objective enough to know how a relationship works, you're looking at this list and you're thinking like a lot of that sounds like it might make it hard for people to get or feel close to you. And that is true, it does. But like all insecure traits that we develop, they, they start as survival tactics. And where this stuff comes from is this belief in um, someone who has the shutdown style in, in their mindset that closeness really is the result of remaining calm and in control, which requires you to suppress and avoid your feelings to keep yourselves and others from getting hurt. Now, there, there might not be this like cognitive connection that that's why you're doing it, but oftentimes it's where it stems from. Because somewhere along the way, people with this style learned that, that showing emotions is unacceptable and it makes other people feel uncomfortable. And so you probably shouldn't do it. 
And we can learn this in all sorts of different ways, right? Like we can learn this in, in overt or covert ways during our upbringing or through our different relationships. Like an overt way might be someone telling us uh, when we start to express emotions like, listen, suck it up, okay? Get over it. Stop being such a baby, Right? Like, if you're going to make a scene, go to your room where we don't have to be around it and deal with it. Like, if you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Some of you are like, I thought that my dad made that up. No, that's, that's been around for a while. Right? Stop being dramatic. Nobody likes that. Okay? Stop being so emotional. Or maybe for some of us, showing emotions was actually a great way to get in trouble, to get grounded, or maybe even get hit which definitely tells you to, to shut that stuff off, pull it in or draw it away. But there are also like covert ways to sort of, you know, have your emotions shut down, especially when you're a kid. And a lot of times I think this has to do with being distracted by positivity, right? Um, when you start like showing emotions about something, it's like, oh, you're okay. Not are you okay. Not let's check to see if you're okay. Not is something really wrong with you. Just the assumption of you're okay, right? I want you to be okay. I need you to be okay. I really don't want to interact with your feelings right now. Let's go get some ice cream. I'll make something good to eat. Um, you know, we, we don't really need to think about that. Like, why would anyone want to be so sad? You should just stop. Like, let's go do something fun. It's not that bad. Look at the bright side. Or maybe, you know, they didn't say anything to you. Maybe they just, when you emoted, they just got quiet or they walked away, or they ignored you altogether. And it wasn't until you calmed down and put away those negative feelings that you could actually begin interacting with them again. However it happened, um, you know, you avoided to, you learned to avoid your feelings because revealing them made others avoid you. In other words, we become calloused when we're convinced that sharing true feelings sabotages relationships. Like we have these experiences that like when you actually allow yourself to put your emotions out there, it always ends poorly. It causes people to push you away. In, in, in essence, and this may come as a surprise to you, like people don't shut down, uh, like at least initially to push others away. They do it to prevent others from pushing them away. It's a learned behavior to protect themselves. And so this is if, if this is you, you, you fill your days with activity to try and manage your ugly emotions in the only acceptable way you know how, to ignore them. You learn to, to hold in and push down anything that's unpleasant, fear, hurt, sadness, disappointment. And after a while, like you don't even do this consciously. It just happens automatically. You don't even have to think about it. And probably now as you're an adult, you find yourself just saying things like, I'm just not like, uh, you know, an emotions person. You know, I'm just not very emotional. But the reality of it is, if you're human, you are. It's not that you don't have emotions, it's just that you've learned to suppress them. But here's what's crazy. They don't evaporate. They have to go somewhere. And oftentimes our unprocessed emotions get sort of stuck somewhere in our bodies and they transform themselves into digestive issues or ulcers or migraines or back pain. And maybe you've recognized this in your life or the life of, of someone else 
right? Where it's like, you seem, are you, are you frustrated about this? They're like, I'm not frustrated. I have an enormous headache, though. Uh, it's probably unrelated uh, to anything that's going on or anything that I feel because I don't feel. <laughs> and maybe at this point, you're just like, man, I, now I'm starting to think that these people are the worst, um, but they're not. And, and in fact, um, like, you know, those who adapt this sort of style can actually get access to a lot of really incredible strengths um, that, that actually benefit them and the people around them. Um, those of the shutdown style are often also able to see how something could be better and then like really strive to make it so. Um, oftentimes, like, because they're not really emotionally involved in it. Like, this could be objectively better. Let's just make it better, right? Um, they, they often have this ability to complete a task list that they don't enjoy or feel like doing. Like, what, do, what is feeling like it have to do with anything? This is something that needs to be done. Let's get it done, right? They uh, can accomplish a lot without, uh, you know, with very little or any support from other people. They're buckled down and get stuff done sort of people. They remain calm in high-pressure situations. Everybody else is freaking out, and they're just trying to solve the problem at hand. And they often have the ability to win others over with confidence and charisma in the moment. Um, because while everyone else is like panicked with their feelings, they're just like, let's do this. We could make this happen. Let's go. And there's sort of this uplifting positivity, um, you know, uh, about who they are. Now, I want to give you uh, a biblical example of sort of how this might function inside of a relationship before we turn our attention to maybe how this affects our connection with God. And uh, there's this, this story, this interaction that Jesus has with these couple people um, this family. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And uh, I, I think we see on display sort of what this type looks like and maybe the pros and cons of it inside of real relationships. It says this in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38, that Jesus and his disciples came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home, her sister Mary sat at his feet listening to him. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. Now, there's a lot of information sort of packed into this like really small place right here. And I would say that uh, looking through the lens of attachment, that, that Mary is acting very sensitively in this situation, right? Um, you know, Jesus shows up and her immediate response is just like, oh my God, I'm so glad you're here. I, man, how are you? Oh, yeah, I haven't seen you in forever. Let's catch up. Let's just sit down and forget about everything else and look into each other's eyes and just catch up on what's going on and what's happening. It just feels so good to be together, right? And Martha has a different sort of reaction. She is more uh, a shutdown sort of style of attachment. And so when they show up, uh, which also was, was sort of unannounced, by the way, she has a different reaction. She's like, oh, I, wow, you know, I appreciate you guys making the trip. A uh, little heads up would have been nice. <laughs> um, but that's cool because you're here now and there's nothing we can do about it. Um, you know what? I guess I'll make dinner uh, because somebody has to do it. And so you guys, yeah, that's fine. You guys can just hang out. It says that, that then Martha said as she's working in the kitchen, doing what she's supposed to be doing, and seeing everybody else in the other room connecting, um, she starts to feel annoyed by the injustice of it all. It says that then Martha goes to Jesus and says, 
doesn't it seem unfair that my sister just sits there while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. And this is sort of like the way that a lot of shutdown people handle sort of things. She's feeling some things, but in her mind, like, I don't have feelings. This is not about feelings. This is about an injustice, okay? Doesn't it seem unfair, Jesus, that I'm the one doing all the work? There is a right and a wrong way to handle this situation. I'm right. My sister's wrong. We all see it. You, as God, ought to know better, and so you should tell my sister what to do to make the situation correct. goes on to say this, uh, verse 31, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you were worried and upset over all these details. And I love this because Jesus is explaining her behavior with feelings words, which she is not really appreciative of. Because a shutdown's way of thinking is, this isn't about my feelings. (laughs) That's insulting, Jesus. This is about objective facts. I am not worried and upset because those feeling words make me sound weak and that's not who I am. I'm pointing out the obvious injustice here. You know, but I guess I just have high standards, Um, which you wouldn't understand, God. (laughs) What? Her mindset is essentially... Like, you know, not only do I not want to have this emotional exchange in this moment, I, I kind of think you're wrong for indulging in it too. Because if everybody would just like get to work, see what needs to be done and click through their to-do list instead of being all touchy-feely, there would be no tension in this room right now. And everyone else is sitting around being like, what tension? <laughs> they don't seem to see it. Then Jesus says this, which is like the ultimate insulting thing for a shutdown. He says, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Which, you know, if you're a thinking person, you're like, okay, what's the one thing? How do you look at this story and extract the one thing? I think according to what is happening in this context, the one thing Jesus is talking about is having an attentive, vulnerable emotional exchange with another person. And in this context, that person happens to be Jesus. An attentive, vulnerable, emotional exchange. If you are shut down, you're allergic to all of those words. Like, right, because if you are this attachment style, in fact, you read this story and you're like, this is how I know this story is fabricated, okay? It's not real. It shouldn't have been included in the Bible because God would never say that. That's not what God is like. God doesn't care about that stuff. And why would we think that? Because as we've been saying the last couple of weeks, how we attach to others is how we attach to God. We, we take all of this way of being what we've learned about how relationships work. And since we understand that, that God is a relational being, we project all of the stuff that we have sort of gathered about relationships onto God. And so those of us with this attachment style see God as just as uncomfortable with our emotions as our parents were. Feelings like fear and pain and sadness and doubt are all evidence that we don't have enough faith. And those things are clearly gonna cause God to reprimand us for being so ridiculously weak. Because in our minds, God isn't a loving father. He's a cosmic boss with a lot of really pressing deadlines. 
and way more important things to do. And so our job is to put our head down and suck it up and get to work on his behalf. And because of this, I think a a lot of us with a, a shutdown attachment style find it easier to trust a black and white system of doctrine than a God who personally engages with us in relationship. We think like, man, if I can just learn enough of the Bible and I can just do the right disciplines, then maybe I can finally eradicate my emotions just as God intended. In fact, if I can convince other people to do it, maybe I can help them get rid of their annoying emotions too, although be so grateful. And what I think is sad is that, you know, unfortunately, a lot of churches seem to echo this idea that emotions or feelings are the enemy of facts and that indulging in feelings is somehow against or insulting to God. That to be holy is to be callous and unfeeling. And here's what I think is interesting about so many churches sort of communicating this approach or connection to God is that it doesn't really reflect how the early church thought about God as all, at all. In fact, in the, in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 15, as you have one of the, the early church leaders trying to express what, uh, like how, to, how to interact with people and how to show people what God is like, he instructs them to do this, to be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. And this is telling us, you know, not to, to shun each other's uncomfortable feelings, but to enter into them. Now, where would they get something like that? This is going to blow your mind. Jesus. In fact, we see him doing this in another interaction with the same two women as the original story, Mary and Martha. There's, uh, there's a scene in the New Testament where their brother, Lazarus, just died. And they sent for Jesus, and he shows up late, and he's dead, and they are devastated. And... This is there their and his reaction to that. It says in John chapter 11, verse 33, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and others wailing with her, he was overcome with emotion, God. And Jesus wept. And the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Like in this scene, we see that Jesus isn't uncomfortable with their strong emotions, he enters into them. Despite how dark or dreadful or disappointing they are. And after Jesus, the human embodiment of God, cries his eyes out with the people in front of him, he gets up, speaks life into them, and performs a miracle. Because this is what securely attached people do. They they sit with others in their feelings. And then they help them navigate a healthy next step. Now, this is the difficulty with the shutdown style is um, we're like, I would love to help them navigate a healthy next step. I don't want to do the sit in the feelings part. That's the part that's uncomfortable. Or I'll do it. Like, how, how, how much is long enough? Like, three pats? I'm so sorry. Anyway, what are we going to do from here? How do we, you know, 
And yet Jesus like fully enters into the moment. He lets it breathe. He's not focused while he's feeling with them on what they're gonna do after they stop feeling together. He's just present in their feelings with them. Because the truth is, God doesn't shame us for having feelings. He's the one who gave them to us. He wants us to experience and express all of them with him from happiness to heartbreak. That's who God is. And that's how healthy, interconnected relationships work. And some of us are like, I I believe part of that. I believe God wants me to be happy, but, but he definitely doesn't want to share in my heartbreak. But I wonder if you've ever noticed how many examples there are in Scripture of people spewing anxiety, anger, and accusations at God. Like, just to give a a few examples, like Abraham, Moses, and Elijah, they all tell God, there's a recorded example of this, of how angry they are at him for making decisions they don't like, that they think are wrong. Jeremiah, Job, and David, they all vent their anger over the suffering that they're experiencing or their people are experiencing. They call God unfair. 70% of the Psalms are uh, or contain laments. And a a lament, because it's not really a word that we use much anymore, uh, means complaints or heartbreak. In fact, there's an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations. You know what it's full of? Laments, complaints, heartbreak, heavy emotions. That's a lot of negativity, you guys. I thought we weren't supposed to allow that inside the church. Why would God invite that? If God inspired Scripture, if God pressed people to write the things that are in Scripture, if God helped the compilation of Scripture, why would he include so much of this stuff? And I think the reason is because if you never lament in a relationship, you're lying. Because everything isn't all good. And the reason God does this is because he's doing what healthy parents do. He's making room for those close to him to express the full spectrum of their emotions to him, including the dark ones, the negative ones, even when the negativity in those emotions is aimed at him. Because God wants a real relationship with us, and he knows that true connection comes from sharing what we really feel, not what we think we should feel. God does not want a relationship with a fake you. That's not a real relationship. He wants a relationship with the real, true you, which requires you to actually show, give, express, interact with him about what you're really thinking and feeling below the surface. And in fact, real intimacy goes beyond this. It goes like beyond just sharing it. It goes beyond actually receiving care and understanding as a result of that sharing. And for some of us, that is why we're shut down because we don't have uh, hardly any experiences where we have shared what we really 
thought and felt and received a caring, comforting response. And we could begin to assume that maybe that's just not how things work with God. That's maybe not who God is. But some things I find interesting in Scripture about God, and we can go all the way back to the Old Testament with this. I think sometimes we think like Old Testament God is the, is the, is the mean parent, and then, you know, a good thing we got that really kind step-parent Jesus in the New Testament to kind of change the way we saw things. But God is God. And, and the first time God assigns himself an attribute in Scripture, it's, it's this word compassionate. When he, when he first has an opportunity to explain what he's like, he describes himself as compassionate in the book of Exodus. And that means to suffer alongside. Think about if you were, were you know, forced to only describe yourself in one word, what would that word be? Isn't it interesting that God chooses compassionate? If there's one way I could describe me, like, don't you think it would just be like um, powerful? holy, right? Like enforcer, creator. But instead, and God is all those things, but God chooses this word. Like if I can only pick one, compassionate. I am a being that although I have all of this, I am one who comes and sits and suffers alongside those I love. In other words, all your feelings are safe here with me. The first time in scripture, another person, so not God, but somebody else actually names God or assigns God a name or a nickname. Um, it's in the book of Genesis chapter 16. It's actually uh, a woman. She's a victim of a severe abuse. The story itself is, is brutal. And she calls God El Roy, which means the God who sees. In the midst of her pain, her suffering, her quote is literally, I have seen the one who sees me. And essentially what she's saying is when I'm heartbroken, when everything is horrible, when I'm angry and mad, when I am at my wits end, when I feel overwhelmed with emotion, what I experience is a God who doesn't ignore me, isn't a God who pushes me aside, isn't a God who tells me to get past it, is a God who sees me, and not the exterior of me, who sees to the heart of me what I'm experiencing, what I'm feeling, and who shows me compassion. And I think for some of us, we have never seen God as one who sees us. How do you see God? Do you see God as, as one who really sees you? who sits with you in your feelings, who understands and cares deeply about what you're going through. Jesus expands on this idea uh, in the New Testament. Um, he's teaching through uh, what are essentially like his rules for life, um, the Beatitudes. And he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. He says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And the reason exploring our emotions alongside other people is a blessing is that it unlocks our ability to experience closeness and comfort in a way that nothing else can. Another translation of the same scripture uh, uses the phrase, will be held close. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be held close, comforted, 
held close. Think about how, like, how much in contrast this may be to experiences you had coming up. That when you mourn, you're not comforted and held close. You're pushed away. You're isolated. You're reprimanded. But that's not who God is. Later in the New Testament, Paul One of the first Christians says that even though through the first half of his life, it was mostly defined by being rigid and unfeeling, the more he came to understand God, the more he saw the spiritual value, the relational value of vulnerability. He says this in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. He says, I take pleasure in my weakness, for when I am weak, then I am strong. What does that mean? How are you strong when you're weak? doesn't make any sense. Why would you actually be excited to um, express your weakness? Doesn't everything about this just sound crazy? For most of us, we don't take pleasure in weakness. We avoid it. And we believe, for when I am weak, then I am weak. Essentially, what he's saying here is that revealing our weakness And expressing our deepest emotions actually bonds us to other people. And it's our connectedness that gives us strength. You're really strong when your relationships are strong. And that's why, if you're shut down, I want to suggest that maybe you tiptoe towards secure from the place that you have found yourself. Like if you are realizing that this way of being has taken a toll on your relationships and you've just assumed it's because everybody else is too sensitive, maybe it's because you have lost all sensitivity. Maybe there's something about you that needs to regain that for the sake of your relationship with God and other people. And if that is you, my suggestion would be to adopt practices that reinforce that true closeness is strengthened by revealing weakness. And the reason why you're going to need to adopt practices, and a practice means it's something that you do over and over and over and over again, because me just telling you this, you're like, that's interesting, but incorrect. (laughs) And because all of your experiences, or the majority of your experiences, have shown you and indicated to you that this is not right. And we don't overcome and and move forward in our life by just learning new information. We do it by stacking up new experiences. And we have to actually find ourselves and go out on a limb and actually find ourselves revealing emotion, weakness, and and watching as the healthy people around us connect more to us and the strength that it empowers us with. So how would you do this? I'm going to give you just a few suggestions. You don't have to do any of these things. Um, but just to help you understand, like, what would some of those practices maybe be? I might suggest to meditate on scriptures where people share their uncensored feelings with God. And what you're going to find is when people share their uncensored feelings with God, he doesn't smite them. Like, wow, this is crazy. And I just want you to read that and think about it, meditate on it. One of my favorites is Psalm uh, uh, 38, 9 through 11. And Man, it just this exchange back. You're going to read it, and you're going to be like, you can't say that. <laughs> and yet, uh, someone did. And God was like, yeah, let's put that in the Bible, just as an example to other people, that they can just they can say what they need to say. Like, I want to know what's going on with them. I already know. They should just say it out loud. 
The second thing I would suggest is to practice expressing your feelings in journal form. So just like write down things. Sometimes it's hard to share things with other people because you haven't even shared things with yourself. There are times I talk to shut down people and I'm like, what are you feeling? And they're like, I don't know. But I have a really bad headache right now. And it's like, I'm like, you're hiding your feelings. They're like, I'm, I, they're hidden from me. I don't know what they are either. And sometimes it's just the practice of sitting down and writing, and this is just a prompt that could help you do that. Like when I think about blank, whatever thing you want to write in there, I feel this because I, not because them, because I want, because I'm afraid, because I need, because I think. Helping you get in touch. Sometimes people that I've suggested like journaling to, they're like, a different person has been writing in this journal. This doesn't seem like me at all. And I'm like, you're discovering yourself along the way. It's going to help you connect with what you really feel. A uh, third suggestion might be to spend time with people who reflect this aspect of God. People who are open and honest and attentive and non-condemning. And, you know, I, 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 when we stack up experiences alongside people who are different than maybe the people that led us to be shut down, we can find ourselves getting in touch with the sensitivity we were created to have. Another suggestion would be to engage in emotive art alongside other people and share what it stirs up. Sometimes it's easier to share a feeling or like something that comes into your body, right, about like a third thing, not about something that's your thing. And so sometimes it's easier for people to share a feeling about uh, a movie or a painting or a piece of music than it is about like what is going on with them and their mother-in-law. You know what I mean? So like start in a place that maybe is easily accessible and share this with other people. And then the, the last thing is to exercise your empathy muscles by exploring the backstories of others. Like, and this is just a prompt question. Like, how did you end up here? I always think that's an interesting question. Here meaning in this place, at this church, in this relationship, at this job, with this paradigm, with this explanation of how life works. How, tell me a little bit about your story. And the further back you go, the more empathy oftentimes you feel. We flash back to this Martha story that we began with. One of the things I find interesting is that one of the, the, the last things that um, is said about her, and this isn't like, it's like specifically expressed in the Gospels, but church tradition tells us that Martha was one of the, the myrrh-bearing women at the cross. In other words, like she was one of those few who gathered and watched Jesus die a slow, agonizing death, who stood with Jesus' mother for hours on end and wept with her. I mean, if you want to know what deep end grief and emotion is like, sit with a mother who's losing a child. And Martha, who would typically run away from situations like this, stays, sits in it, is present, is comforting those around her. Like, how secure would someone have to be to withstand that much deep-end emotion? I think what this demonstrates is that there's this evolution that's taken place in her life, that what she was handed at one point in her story, the way her story began was not the way it ended. 
And I, I want you to hear that because I think the same thing is true for you, regardless of what attachment style you have or combination you have or, or traits you find yourself sitting in. I want you to understand that you are not stuck or trapped or doomed. That in fact, Jesus will do for you what he did for Martha. Jesus will empower you to fight through the relational dysfunction that threatens to define you. Like when we see Martha at the end of her story, according to church tradition, she is a different, a gentler, a more sensitive, a more connected, a more open person. And as she's be, become someone who is comfortable sitting in her and others' weakness, she becomes ironically stronger because of it. And she's still someone who likes to get stuff done. She's still someone who is logical and rational, but she makes time to simply sit and feel and connect and empathize. And I would argue that it's this moment of deep end empathy that ends up becoming more powerful than all the chores she scurried around the house to do for Jesus. And this is what I want to invite you in today. If you are someone who has found yourself shutting down, maybe it's only in certain relationships, maybe it's in your relationship with God, maybe it's in your relationships with everyone, God wants to allow you to feel again, to get in touch with your feelings and to connect with people in the way that you so deeply desire. Would you bow your heads uh, across this room with me today? I just want to pray this into your life this morning. God, I am incredibly grateful for your word and for the way in which you, you show us that there are so many different ways to be and that no matter how we are, you love us just as we are. And yet some of us, we have adapted certain ways of being that have really splintered the types of connections that we want to have, that we were meant to have, that we were designed to have. And um, that's lonely. And we have all sorts of explanations why we don't need to feel connected. And yet, deep down we know that they're just excuses and God I pray that you would soften us that you would reveal how much you love and accept us that you would be the God who gives us experiences over these next few days, weeks and months, over the course of this year and we're able to see you sitting with us in our deep end feelings of happiness and heartbreak. And as we receive this connection with you, may we be able to echo it and reflect it to those around us. God, as we get to know who you are even more, may we get a glimpse of who we really are as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, 
You can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.